This is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. Really? Really, Mr. President? Yes, really. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Brother. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. In Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950. The progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it is uh, We are now 100 days into this uh, long national international nightmare we will get to that with my guest very shortly also coming up later on desi doyan will be with us hi desi how are you desiree oh i'm enjoying the crazy news volcano not really I was going to say enjoying is uh, not (laughs) a word I would use. Uh, In any event, Desi will be with us with the latest Green News report uh, as uh, Florida. Florida is in trouble. They are uh, calling out the National Guard. Um, They have been ignoring climate change concerns for years. They're paying the price yet again, I'm afraid, it seems right now. Uh, and uh, and it's going to get even worse for them, according to your report concerning uh, some new numbers, some new estimates we have for sea level rise. Yep. So things are not going well there, but somehow you'll make it all okay by the end <laughs> with your Green News report. We'll try. We'll try. But first... Well, it appears there will be no vote this week on the newest version of the Republicans' attempt to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. This uh, this latest attempt included an amendment to please right wing hardliners in the U.S. House that would have allowed pre-existing conditions coverage and essential benefits coverage like hospital stays and maternity care to become optional for states. The new provision pleased the hard right Freedom Caucus in the U.S. House, but it resulted in so many uh, so-called moderate Republicans apparently bailing on the effort uh, that the entire thing, once again, has now failed, at least for this week. So there will be no replacement bill for Obamacare in Trump's first 100 days. Just uh, one of many, all of them, in fact, of his uh, major legislative initiatives that he had promised in his first hundred days during the presidential campaign that have now failed to come to pass. 
To paraphrase his latest dangerous uh, saber-rattling with uh, North Korea over the past 12 hours, it is another major, major embarrassment for Donald Trump, if he is capable of that sort of thing. And just to remind you what he used to say before he became president about uh, the job of being president and issuing executive orders when it was Obama issuing those orders, well, here's, here's a bit of a montage. Signing executive orders is not the way our country was supposed to be run. Nobody ever heard of an executive order. Then all of a sudden, Obama, because he couldn't get anybody to agree with him, he starts signing them like they're uh, butter. You have a president that signs executive orders because he can't get anything done. He signs on immigration and on other things. I want to not use too many executive orders, folks. <laughs> the executive orders are an outrage. We have a president that can't lead. He said, the hell with it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I want to rest and I want to do other things, including going out play golf. This guy played hundreds of rounds of golf. Yeah, that guy did. Uh, that was, uh, of course, Donald Trump then. Now, all he has to to show, it seems, so far for his first hundred days of his presidency is a lot of panic, a lot of havoc amongst the, uh, the populace, not only in the U.S., but around the world, and a whole bunch of executive orders that he'd signed. In the meantime, according to a Reuters interview published today, Donald Trump misses driving, feels as if he is in a cocoon, and is surprised at how hard his new job is. President Donald Trump, they say, on Thursday reflected on his first 100 days in office with a wistful look at his life before the White House. I loved my previous life. I loved my previous life. I had so many things going. I, I, I actually, this is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. I thought it was more of a, I'm a details-oriented person. I think you would say that. But I do miss my old life. This, I like to work, so that's not a problem. But this is actually more work. No, I wouldn't say you're a details-oriented person, Mr. President. And really, you thought that being president of the United States, the so-called leader of the free world, would be easier than being a real estate hustler? Really? More than five months after his victory and uh, at the time of the interview, uh, two days shy of his 100-day mark, Reuters reports the election is still on Donald Trump's mind. Midway through a discussion about Chinese President Xi Jinping, the president paused to hand out copies of what he said were the latest figures from the 2016 electoral map. Here, you can, take, uh, you can take that. That's the final map of the numbers, the Republican president said from his desk in the Oval Office, handing out maps of the United States with areas he won marked in red. It's pretty good, right? The red is obviously us, he said, and he handed out copies for each of the three Reuters reporters in the room. The news service notes, as if they didn't know who actually won the race in 2016. So now we're at the end of another panicked week on Capitol Hill as Trump has tried to somehow legitimize his first hundred days in office with a series of these executive orders um, and failed attempts at legislation on health care and a threadbare attempt at outlining what his administration described as the largest tax cut in the history of the United States. The saber rattling continues today with North Korea. And Trump seemed uh, to threaten our friends in South Korea by suggesting he would unilaterally end a trade deal that we've had with them and 
force them to pay for a U.S. missile defense system being installed there, which the North sees as a provocation. At the same time today, Donald Trump spoke in Atlanta just an hour or so ago to the Terrorist Enabling National Rifle Association, or the NRA, uh, at their uh, annual convention where he declared that an eight-year assault on, uh, on Second Amendment rights had come to a crashing end with his election. He said no longer will federal agencies be coming after law-abiding gun owners. No longer will the government be trying to undermine your rights and freedoms as Americans, Trump said. Now, I didn't get to watch it, but uh, or perhaps I decided not to. I'll let you decide that. But our guest today, I believe, probably did. The great Heather Digby Parton joins us again today. She is known and beloved to many on the Internet as simply Digby. She is the creator of the long-running Hullabaloo blog, a regular contributor at Salon.com, and a prestigious Sidney Hillman Prize winner for opinion and analysis journalism. And, of course, she is a longtime friend of the Bradcast, Heather Digby Parton. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, you heard uh, some of that, uh, some of that intro there. <laughs> that uh, tr- I tried to make sense of the chaos that we have seen within just the past few days, really. <laughs> uh, you know, okay. So we'll get into some of the broader uh, 100 days analysis. Uh, it feels like a hundred years, frankly, uh, in- including your coverage, by the way, at Salon on the first 100 days in a moment. But I want to hit a couple of these things happening today. Uh, as noted, I didn't see the Trump uh, speaking at the NRA convention, uh, where apparently the I guess the uh, Secret Service, you know, despite uh, the NRA calling for uh, you know open carrying guns everywhere, apparently the Secret Service didn't allow any guns in the room for some reason with the president. But I suspect you watched. How did it go? And is there any particular reason I should be interested in what uh, Donald Trump had to say there? <laughs> Well, it was a love fest, as you might imagine. You know, the NRA uh, endorsed Trump very early for them. I mean, I think it was six months before the election. Normally they wait until the fall um, before they issue their endorsement, but they were on the Trump train very early. They love this guy. I mean, he, and, and this is despite the fact that, you know, Trump is, he's sort of a citified dude, right? He's not a rural hunter type, although he always mm-hmm. talks about his, his, you know, psycho, his sons who go out and kill endangered <laughs> species and stuff. But, right. you know, he, he, he is a big, 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 um, you know, uh, you know, thoroughly endorsed <laughs> um, politician by the NRA. And it's very interesting because, you know, one wouldn't necessarily expect that from, for him. But it makes sense when you think about what Wayne LaPierre uh, did with the NRA and how he uh, placed them in sort of the ideological spectrum uh, of U- U.S. politics. And he did this going all the way back to the 1990s. He f- saw this populist rise long before everybody else did, and he placed the NRA right in the center of it. You know, they've always had a lot of rural followers. Mm-hmm. They've always, you know, for obvious reasons, and sportsmen and all that kind of thing. Um, but he started probably, you know, just a little less than 20 years ago, um, also promoting all this other anti-immigrant stuff. He was promoting the anti-terrorist, 
you know, the mm-hmm. hardcore kind of anti-Muslim rhetoric. He was promoting the idea that the Chinese were stealing, you know, Americans blind. I mean, he saw this whole side of American political life, I think, kind of fomenting uh, earlier than, than most people did. And it's interesting because when Al Gore lost the race back in 2000, um, you know, when they did their big postmortems after that race, it was decided clearly the Democrats said that what they had seen was the reason that Gore lost in the states. I mean, he he lost his own state of Tennessee and came very close to losing in uh, Pennsylvania, Western Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa, and they lost a bunch of Democratic seats there that that in that cycle because of Democratic support for gun rights. And that became kind of a gospel among the Democrats for some years. Um, they completely abandoned any kind of gun safety or gun control, and just kind of you know they had, remember John Kerry running around with his with <laughs> his hunting hunting vest yes. on and talking about how I uh, you know I only I eat everything I kill you yeah. know I mean it was really weird. Um, so you know they they kind of jumped on that whole bandwagon, and that was because their analysis of their weakness in the very places that Donald Trump won this time was because of gun rights. And in fact, Trump may have actually, that, that is probably a contributing factor that nobody talks about in those very same areas. It's part of a sort of a tribal thing, right, which, which LaPierre saw early on that had to do with this idea of the lost American culture of, you know, independent gun owners and, I don't know, Confederate but, flag wavers and whatever else. So, I mean, that's, that's why Trump is considered, you know, a hugely popular political figure in the NRA. They've been primed for it for 20 years. But but why, what explain? and by the way, if, if I don't uh, pause for a second to note that when you talk about Al Gore losing in uh, the year 2000, we need to put right. that in quotes. Uh, losing in, in, in the, the electoral year, college, okay. let's put it that way. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Uh, in the ultimate one that was decided which, by the Supreme which Court. Which Trump, by the way, insists is tilted to the Democrats for some unknown reason. <laughs> Odd, uh, yes, oddly enough, uh, when the opposite seems to be true. Yeah. Um, but it still doesn't explain why um, you know all those things that you described are are really, um, you know, it wasn't only Donald Trump who believed all of those things. I mean, the entirety of the. Uh, you know, the, the Republicans who ran for president, they all yep. kind of had the same belief when it comes to immigration, when it comes to gun rights. Um, so I, I'm, I'm still having trouble figuring out what makes Donald Trump so different that in their mind, in the NRA's mind, they would endorse him as quickly and as early as they did. Well, I think part of it has to be that, you know, LaPierre saw that, you know, that they had a real you know, a real malleable rube on mm-hmm. their hands that they could absolutely, you know, they could run him. And, you know, if you have any kind of savvy about human nature at all, and, I, you know, LaPierre, say what you will about him, he's a malevolent, you know, horrifying figure in American politics, but he is very smart. He's one of the smartest people around, I think. And I think he saw with Trump that, you know, this kind of flattery, putting him in front of a room full of screaming, mm-hmm. you know, gun-toting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Republicans, that that would really, that would buy a lot of loyalty from him. And there was no way that he would, he would back off. And in fact, I think that's why, you know, he's the first president to speak to the NRA since Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And, you know, that's because the NRA is known as an extremist organization, and they yeah. get, uh, generally a sitting president is not, you know, it's 
is not going to go and stand there in front of that particular group. We remember. We remember when uh, George Del- uh, George H. W. Bush yeah. uh, withdrew his membership in the NRA after they uh, had described the federal government as jackbooted thugs. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if if Donald Trump used that same language today to refer to his own government. Frankly, well, he would have, but he was too busy talking about he was you know just I did watch the speech unfortunately uh-huh. for me. Uh, he was reminiscing about his wins, as you brought up in your intro there, you know, and he handed out the map. He didn't mm-hmm. hand out maps, but he did kind of go state by state and remind everybody about how victorious he had been. And he said, you know, wasn't November 8th the great night? Remember when they said, and he wins Michigan, and now he wins Florida. Oh, Florida. And they're all, you know, clapping, whatever. <laughs> you know, he, I've never seen a guy relive his glory days that just happened six months ago quite as, as constantly as he does. Um, but he, he did talk about that, and then he talked about how that you know they had to to keep be vigilant because Pocahontas uh, could very well be the Democratic uh, nominee next time, and she doesn't like the NRA. Did I he mean, call? He of course uh, he, talking yes, about Senator Elizabeth Warren. He, he didn't call- even call her by her real name. He just referred to her as Pocahontas, oh and the whole crowd erupted. And it's like I just oh my god I. I I mourn. Well, it's, country. you know, it's, yeah, there's a lot of mourning going on in America. But as much fun, quote unquote fun, as it is to uh, sort of laugh at him on things like that, more troubling uh, today. Uh, well, last night it was reported that uh, Trump said, quote, a major, major conflict, that's his words, is possible between the U.S. and North Korea. Uh, He said there is a chance that we could end up having a major, major conflict with North Korea. Absolutely. He told Reuters in that interview, we'd love to solve things diplomatically, but it's very difficult. Today at the U.N., Secretary of State Rex Tillerson reiterated that uh, U.S. military action in North Korea is still on the table. So he is still beating the drums of war, frankly, with an unstable nuclear-powered regime. And I'm talking about North Korea in this case, in case you're not clear. (laughs) I was going to ask, which one are we talking about? Uh, Yes. Uh, But he also said, uh, Tillerson said, that uh, told NPR that the U.S. would be willing to negotiate directly with Pyongyang, um, which uh, CNN notes is a step that uh, other administrations have been reluctant to take, seeing that as a reward for uh, aggressive and belligerent behavior. And that's also something that Vice President Mike Pence had apparently ruled out just two weeks ago. It's chaos. It seems incredibly dangerous to me. And it all happens at the same time that uh, Ann Fifield over at uh, Washington Post's uh, uh, Tokyo bureau chief noted last night that uh, on Korean Twitter, it, things were blowing up because uh, of Trump's assertion that he's going to uh, force Seoul, North, uh, South Korea, to pay $1 billion for the uh, missile system that the U.S. is now uh, d- uh, deploying there. Uh, this all seems like a tinderbox to me, Heather. Uh, I mean, not just with our adversaries, but with our allies as well, who must be at least as confused as I am, No. Uh, you think? I mean, I, I honestly, this was this was an amazing one because you know this is really playing with fire. It's one thing for Trump to, you know, be chit chatting about mm-hmm. you know Mexican street gangs and and you know gun rights and mm-hmm. all the rest of his sort of domestic agenda. But this, he has to know by now how dangerous this is. 
they must have told him and he doesn't hear it, or uh, I don't know what's wrong with him. There's something wrong with him. Nobody normal would just go off half cocked like this, talking to the press, knowing full well that this was all going to be reported out. And just kind of riffing in this way at a time when it's clear that North Korea is, you know, I mean, they are on tender hooks about what's going to happen. There's no strategy here. I mean, you don't believe there's a strategy, do you? I don't see one. I mean, even the madman theory required that the madman not be a madman. So, <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, the, the theory seems to be uh, a play tough. I mean, it seems to be similar to his his domestic theory, which is to, you know, pretend to be a tough guy. Uh, but then when it comes down to it, at, at, at the end, he sort of pulls his punches. Uh, yeah, I had to just a, want to jump in that, very Des? quick. Yeah. yeah, well, because I think if you look at this from the perspective of he is a reality TV game show host, and most of his, his years in front of the television have been trying to project a certain image and project a certain brand. It's all basically marketing. He's trying to play to his base. I think he's trying to make his base see, hey, look, I'm, I'm doing a whole show for them. And he's never had to have any consequences, really, for any of his speech. So when you have no consequences for your speech ever in your life, it would not be surprising that you can tell someone, hey, this is really dangerous fire that you're playing with. He's never had any consequences before, so why would he care now? That makes sense when uh, you're talking about our, our adversaries, maybe. Uh, but when we're talking about our friends, you know, there was uh, in response uh, to that uh, tweet I mentioned from Ann Fifield, uh, somebody mm -hmm. said, well, this would be a great reality show if it wasn't, you know, reality. Uh, <laughs> right. Another uh, uh, response was that Trump seems constitutionally incapable of understanding why we do what we do. He thinks South Korea is mooching off our goodwill. He probably thought the same thing about NATO. I mean, a case can be made for pretending to be a tough guy against your adversaries. But, uh, Heather, um, this week uh, he has uh, was promised to cancel NAFTA with Canada and Mexico, but has now said he'll renegotiate instead. He has, uh, in that Reuters interview, he has said uh, Saudi Arabia has treated us unfairly. Apparently South Korea is treating us unfairly. It seems like he's taken this right-wing victim culture in his Fox News victim culture, and has now applied it to the entire world in his foreign policy. The entire world is treating the poor United States of America unfairly. Well, I, I, that's a good way of putting it. And and the truth is, is that he's been thinking this for a very long time. I mean, this is how he sees the United States as being besieged by foreigners. I mean, he is the single most xenophobic president, leader, that we've ever had. I mean, the United States has always, we've always had issues with immigrants. My God, we were slave owners. We were genocidal maniacs toward the Native Americans. I mean, you know, it goes on and on. But there was this other side of it in which everybody, you know, all the Europeans who came here and people who migrated up from the South were all immigrants basically so you know the they were foreigners at one point and mm -hmm. and there was always there have always been lots of foreigners and we've always had trade with foreigners and it's been <laughs> you know a very big part of american culture this guy believe it he is 100 percent xenophobic i mean look he he started a trade war with canada this week yes. Uh, you know, I mean, Canada, and and then and then he said this. You know, I mean, on the trail, he said over and over. I mean, this thing with South Korea, 
the specifics of having to pay the billion dollars for the the missile defense system uh, that I had not specifically heard before, but he certainly talked about how South Korea was going to have to step it up and yep. pay, you know, pay their fair share. He said the same thing about Japan. You know, he said it about NATO, of course, and then he backs off and says, well, they're not obsolete anymore, and they're going to, you know, they're going to pay or whatever, but he's back and forth on this. But his essential attitude toward the rest of the world is that they we don't get no respect it's this rodney dangerfield thing yeah. you know that that we nobody respects us we're the best we're the biggest it's one of the reasons why i was so skeptical of this idea that he was this big isolationist that was never what he was what he is i mean he is a, basically an american imperialist i mean he believes that america runs the world we have all the cards we are the people who everyone should pay deference to just the way that people think he thinks people should pay deference to him personally. It's you know he is l'état c'est moi, right? I mean he is the state, and and I think that that is you know he re- is resentful of our allies probably more than our adversaries because they tend to think that they have some right to you know have a say in the way things are going and what's going to happen. And he believes, and of course he's all very he's you know all very much about money. So he believes that that he that everyone in the world should pay for the privilege of being associated with the United States and having alliances with the United States, and he's going to hold them up for more money. I mean, it's a it's... really simple-minded view of how the world works, uh, and we're seeing it played out here. And of course, he, you know, he says something like this about South Korea last night. I was on Twitter too, and I saw the very the mm-hmm. very tweet that you're talking about. And I'm going, oh my God! Imagine if you're in you're you're a person living in Seoul right now. In South Korea, yeah, and you see this, and you've got so you know. I mean, look, Kim Jong Un is kind of a maniac. I mean, mm-hmm. this guy. I mean, I now that we have one of our own, I'm going to be a little more charitable than I used to be about right, him. But right. you know, I can see how it can happen. Um, and and you, know, you don't provoke some guy like this. You know, there there are millions of people living in South Korea. Not to mention, there's over what. 30,000 American troops there. There's yeah, people about from all a, over the world. I mean, my God. A quarter of a million Americans uh, in, in the area. Yeah. And as, I mean, I got to tell, tell you, uh, you know, I'm concerned being on the West Coast here, being in L.A., uh, you know, that uh, oh. we, we can be reached by uh, those intercontinental ballistic missiles if that program moves forward. I can only imagine how the people in South Korea feel uh, about it. And, uh, yeah, this provocation is... Is, is disturbing, and I think you, you, you put it well, you, you frame it well, Heather, that uh, as imperialistic as we already are in the U.S. Uh, with the rest of the world, apparently that is not enough for Donald Trump, for this president, which is a remarkable thought in and of itself. i got to take yep. a quick break here. Uh, we'll come back with more Heather Digby-Parton. We'll look at a uh, slightly broader picture uh, for, the, uh, for the first 100 days of the president. I'll tell you, there has been so much winning. I am sick of it already. <laughs> Stop the winning. Stop. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more on the broadcast with Heather and Desi and myself. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So much winning from uh, our uh, president, Donald Trump, these days that I, uh, I, for one, am exhausted by it. Speaking with Heather Digby Parton of Salon.com, uh, who we always like to check in with, uh, particularly on these uh, landmarks concerning Donald Trump. We were uh, Heather was with us the day uh, June 16, 2015, when Donald Trump came down that escalator to announce his uh, candidacy for the presidency. Everyone else said, this is crazy. It'll never work. He's not serious. And at the time, Heather and I were quite concerned that he was quite serious and would, in fact, do quite well. Turned out uh, Heather and I were uh, a little bit more right than we, I think, each wish we had been uh, <laughs> that day and ever since. Uh, Heather, you have, uh, you of course, as I said, predicted uh, much of the mess that we have seen. But looking at this uh, first hundred days uh, milestone, this, well, Trump calls it a barrier for some reason, an artificial barrier, but it's a milestone, a benchmark, a landmark. Um, what has surprised you most about the first hundred days of Donald Trump's presidency? Huh, that's a good question. I, you know, Thank for you. me, I think uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I think. <laughs> I think what surprised me was the level of ineptitude. And not because I thought Donald Trump was a great businessman or a great leader or anything. I just sort of thought the institutions somehow were a little bit more, um, you know, they were just a little bit stronger and would be able to kind of come together. I mean, whether it was the Republican Party or just the general institutions of the government. I mean, and some of them are, are functional. I mean, they, you know, Social Security checks are going out. Mm -hmm. You know, we all filed our taxes. I mean, you know, their things are are still functioning. But just uh, it it's it it surprised me just how chaotic it is, how completely out of control the White House is. Now, having said that, let's just you know there are a couple of things that are working quite efficiently, and it's very disturbing. Um, the Department of Justice under Jeff Sessions is a truly malevolent force. They are doing everything that Donald Trump promised to do and more. The Department of Homeland Security is shaping up to be just as bad. In fact, I just heard that they're thinking of appointing Sheriff David Clark. Uh, I believe he's from Milwaukee. Milwaukee uh, Sheriff, and yeah. He, yeah, I mean, you know, people die in his jail of dehydration. Uh, and he is mm -hmm. a complete and utter, you know, right-wing nut. And they're thinking of putting him into a high position in the Department. Department of Homeland Security, that area, the authoritarian uh, police state area of the Trump administration, it's working. And they put people in charge of it that know how to make it work, mm. and that is very, very scary. And I suspect that the military is also working pretty efficiently. The problem is, is that it is, he has completely shuffled off 
all responsibility and authority onto the generals, and I guess we should be glad about that, since the alternative would be that it, he'd be the one making the decisions. Nonetheless, for anybody who cares about the separation of powers and cares about, you know, not having uh, you know, military you know, members of the military, you know, not having seven days in May happen, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that we. Uh, that we be Yet. concerned about the this particular form of efficiency happening, but everything else is a complete mess, and it's even messier than I anticipated, and I knew it was going to be bad. And that's, uh, to me, has been one of the main just how bad it is as far as just as a businessman, as the so-called great negotiator. Uh, let me let me play this clip here. He he, however, disagrees. He thinks things are going well. You note in your coverage, uh, Heather, at uh, at Salon, your coverage of the 100 Days landmark, uh, that at the same point in Barack Obama's tenure, 65 percent of Americans polled said they approved of the job that Barack Obama was doing. Only 29% disapproved. By comparison, you note that according to the latest Gallup polling, Trump has the worst average approval rating. So that's not just the latest Gallup polling. That's actually uh, averaging his approval rating since uh, he took office in January. Um, The worst average approval rating, 41%. Uh, of any president in that survey's history and by a long shot, by a margin of 14 points. Um, he, he is uh, you know, below all of the other presidents, going back to FDR, I believe. Trump, however, says it has been the most successful first 100 days in history. Uh, he told Fox News recently. Uh, we freed up so much and we're getting great, great credit for it. We have done so much for so many people I don't think that there is a presidential period of time in the first 100 days where anyone's done nearly what we've been able to do. So, Heather, uh, a two-part question here. Um, is he, uh, you and I can look at this, we can see all the things he has not accomplished, he hasn't you know, done any of his legislative agenda, um, but in, well, is he failing? His supporters still think, apparently, that uh, he's terrific. They are still very much with him, despite his historical lows in the in the polls among America as a whole. So um, is he actually failing? And if he is failing, does he know he's failing <laughs> or, or or is that uh, or is that uh, is that a bunch of bluster that he gives or does he actually think, uh, you know, has his years of Fox News branded denialism led him to convince himself otherwise that that he's doing really well here? You know, I, the, the first part of your question, is he failing? Yes, um, I think he's failing on uh, as a. As, just as a general sort of observation of what a president should be able to do, which is consolidate his power, put together a White House staff, his government, take control of his party. I mean, he's got a full, you know, I mean, this guy has has the Congress, too. I mean, it's not like he's out there alone with a Democratic Congress blocking him mm-hmm. at every turn. He can't get anything done at all with anybody. So, I mean, that is that is a major failure. And I, I think that he, I, I see no evidence that he's learning on the job, despite the media's insistence every five minutes that some mild adjustment he makes is a big pivot and he's learning and, you know, he's really starting to catch on or whatever. I, I see no evidence of it. And last night's, um, the, the interviews that he did uh, for the 100 days show that. He has not learned anything so far, nothing. Um, now, 
whether or not he believes that he's actually um, succeeding, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I honestly don't know, but it kind of scares me a little bit <laughs> that, that he doesn't know that he's failing. I am kind of hopeful that this is some kind, that this is his salesman shtick, that mm-hmm. he figures that when you're losing, the best thing to do is to pretend and say you're winning. And that's how he keeps his, you know, roughly 40% of the public, and by the way, a vast number of Republicans, it's just astonishing to me how many Republicans are sticking with him. I mean, a lot of these, you know, not everybody in the Republican Party that voted for him are, you know, these guys, these NRA members, right? Right. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them who aren't, and they're sticking with this guy, and you know they know. You know they know what they're seeing is complete lunacy, and they're still sticking with him. So, you know, I don't know whether or not he thinks that um, that he actually that he actually is succeeding or that he isn't failing or whether or not it's just his, you know, it's his way of trying to create the conditions for him to actually turn that around. I don't know, but I do know that it is. It, it makes me feel crazy to hear him say that stuff. Well, I mean, do you feel? Don't you feel like uh, I'm? Uh, I am. I'm in an alternate universe here. I mean, how can the president of the United States be saying this utter nonsense? Because he thinks he's uh, pulling off a Jedi mind trick. Uh, well, if he it. says it, you know, we are success. I mean, that's what he does. That's how he plays. It doesn't matter what the facts are. Uh, it's it's what you know the reality, and this is listen. He he's the Fox News president. This is what they do on yeah. Fox News. They That's say true. what they believe or what they want to be true, whether it's true or not, and it becomes true, and it works. And as far as uh, you know, among their supporters, uh, Josh Marshall over a Talking Points memo points out this week that uh, Trump appears to have no actual agenda, no actual ideological agenda other than winning. In other words, if Paul Ryan, he said, came forward with a plan uh, to repeal and replace Obamacare with a single-payer health care plan, Trump would likely favor that. He, he, He would be all in support of that, even, you know, at the same way right now he supports this other the Republicans uh, version of what were they on 2.0 or 3.0 of Trump care now that would take away health care from millions. Um, Trump supports that and he'd support single payer because what he cares about is winning. He doesn't actually care about what he wins at all. Is is Josh right about that? I think so. I mean, I, I and I've thought that for a long time. I don't think he actually cares about anything. And and to the extent that he did, it was just a couple of things. One is this respect for America. I think he that that's at least been something that he's consistently said over the course of many years. So I have to assume it's something that you know is embedded in his brain somewhere. Uh, whether you call that a belief, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. And he used to, you know, his beliefs about trade. I thought might even have some, you know, level of seriousness about them. Turns out that's not true at all. He has no clue. Uh, this NAFTA thing mm-hmm. that happened just th- in the last couple of days, where he was ready to abruptly withdraw 
And then Wilbur Ross, his Commerce Secretary, and Sonny Perdue, Secretary of Agriculture, came in with a color, that colorful map you mentioned, mm-hmm. and where it showed him how his voters would be affected if he just abruptly withdrew from NAFTA, and it would be people in red states, you know, with farms who export to Mexico and Canada. Um, and suddenly he went, oh, the farmers like me. Well, I like them, too. I mean, this is like a quote. So, uh, the farmers like me. I like them, too, and I want to help them. And so he decided not to withdraw from NAFTA. And they made up some story about how he talked to um, the, you know, I think to he actually Trudeau. did talk to them, yeah. but he, he made it sound as though they had, they had come to an agreement that he would hold off on the withdrawal. But the truth is, is that Wilbur Ross and Sonny Perdue showed him that some farmers, you know, some of his voters mm-hmm. would be affected. Now, I had assumed that Trump had some knowledge of trade deals, because he's been talking about this for a very long time, I gave him way too much credit. So, you know, uh, the, I don't think he believes anything, and I don't think he knows anything. He, it's what Desi said. This is a performance to him. He's, been, he's performing the role of president, and he thought that's what the president did. And one of, and the, one of, the, one of the characters he's played is the role of the great negotiator, but now oh my God. everyone is seeing... He's a terrible negotiator. He, he 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 backs off of everything. He backed off of the the, the promise over NAFTA. He you know promised there was going to be a vote on health care, uh, and then that went away. He collapsed on that. He collapsed on China. Um, so I, I'd argue, in addition to being lousy at presidenting, he's also terrible at at, <laughs> at negotiating. I don't and think now- there's any doubt. I don't think there's any doubt. And I think that I mean it. He has always you know like he, when he would talk about military strategy, he the only the only tactic he ever endorsed is a surprise attack. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, it's, if you're not a kamikaze, you know, you don't know anything about military strategy. It's the same thing with negotiation. He has only one strategy. It's to walk in, make a completely ridiculous demand, and if they don't immediately capitulate to that and go, oh, gee, you know, we're so scared, you know, whatever you want, then he backs off. That's he, it. That's he, that's his negotiating strategy. He, he's a bluffer, and yeah. if you're if you're if you're playing poker and you know someone bluffs all the time, <laughs> the bluffing doesn't really play work the odds. anymore. Yeah, yeah, play the odds. You uh, know, it's a- very quickly, uh, Heather uh, got just a, a couple of a quick minutes here. I want to run through very quickly um, the the response to the 100 days from the media, from the resistance, oh. from the Democrats. Uh, very quickly. Uh, how well have the uh, how well have the media stepped up uh, to the challenge of uh, covering this president? Well, let's just put it this way: they have talked to every single Trump voter in the United States <laughs> and asked them how they feel. Uh-huh. And to me, that's about it. That's the only thing they've done. You know, they've gone out, you know, on these anthropological forays into you know uh, Eastern Ohio and asked some people sitting around at a diner what they think about Trump, and that's been their. That's been the way that they decided to cover all this. And so, you know, at some point, maybe someone will ask someone else in America what they think. They, they have been, uh, I had felt they were doing actually a pretty decent job in some respect in calling him out on his lies and actually using the L word, you know, in a headline at the New York Times, uh, fact checking and so forth uh, better than I've seen in years until we got to Syria. Uh, and yep. even North Korea and, you know, the, the military adventurism, which they seem to be all on board with. They haven't asked any questions. We launched a war against Syria without congressional authorization, without actually waiting until the evidence was in to determine, you know, who was behind the uh, the, the chemical attack. And 
neither the Democrats or the Republicans in Congress, much less the media, um, seem to be challenging any of that. So that worries me for the future. Oh, of course. I mean, this is how this happens, right? I mean, we watched it happen with George W. Bush. I mean, they, they certainly never challenged George W. Bush mm-hmm. in the beginning of his term the way they did Trump. Right. Uh, you know, but the minute 9-11 happened and the minute he, you know, started his march toward war with Iraq, there was never even a moment, really, uh, well, we, we've mm-hmm. been over this <laughs> ground many times, of, of challenging any, anything that they said with any, you know, with any kind of energy or, or you know, with, a, with an eye toward accountability. And, and I totally see that happening again. If Trump does decide or somehow or another backs into a war, um, I think that all of this difficult, you know, press that he's been getting, I think that will all fall away. I mean, they, they gave themselves away with the Syria airstrikes. You know, he became president tonight. Yeah. Right. Well, right. And ever since, I mean, yeah. I, I had hoped for more from uh, from this particular media, which did seem to be, um, you know, somewhat more skeptical of Trump than they were of George W. Bush. But yeah, as soon as those rockets started flying, uh, all bets were off, and they were back yeah. to the same old uh, media. Uh, Democrats, how are they doing in uh, congressional Democrats here? How are they doing in, in holding up the opposition to Donald well, Trump, as you see it? you know, so far I have been very surprised. I am seeing that, I mean, uh, you could see there were openings there with the uh, Trump Care Zombie, that it would be possible that maybe they could come across with some kind of offers to maybe help him out, and they decided not to do that. Um, They've been, you know, showing a solid opposition and leaving the Republicans to have to fight it out among themselves, which is what should happen. They won this election. They have the whole thing. Now you guys figure it out. So I'm hopeful um, that they will continue to hold the line uh, as this develops, I mean, what we're seeing is is that this is a Republican show all the way. This is the the Donald Trump Republican Hour, uh, and uh, let that let that happen. Let the Democrats, um, you know, hang back and try and reassemble their own <laughs> their own coalition and uh, pull themselves together and let Trump do his thing here. Which I, I, mean, I think that's the only way. Which I had actually wanted, we're out of uh, time here, I have to get to the Green News report. I had actually wanted to ask you about how the Democrats uh, were doing as far as uh, politically pulling themselves together. We're going to have to hold that for another day, unfortunately. Let me just uh, leave you with this last question. Heather Digby-Barton, the resistance, the people, uh, we've got another big protest uh, this weekend uh, for for climate uh, climate science. We had a science march last week. Uh, big numbers still turning out to all of these protests, to all of these town hall meetings. I think the people are stepping up and doing a great job. But can they, can the people, can the resistance keep up this pace without getting burnt out? Can you? Can I? <laughs> well, I don't know about you and I, Brad. I <laughs> I'm afraid for us. I really am. I know I'm afraid for myself. Yep. But I do have high hopes for the people. I mean, it really does. All the reports that we hear, and not enough, by the way. I mean, we hear from every Trump voter, but I, the mainstream media doesn't seem interested in the fact that all over the country you've got meetings happening night after night after night with people in places that never got together before and are talk and they're 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 becoming politically active they're putting together actions in their own local and state and and working on national politics as well 
Um, I am very hopeful about that. I really, really think, you know, I, if Donald Trump did one thing good for this country, he woke some people up. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can organize enough to stop him before he... Uh, before he destroys us all. Stay, That's, you know. stay woke, people. Don't stay count woke. on Digby or I to say we're all <laughs> in this mess together. Hey, Heather, I got to get out. Always great talking to you. We will do it again soon, no doubt. Uh, Heather Digby Parton, find her work at uh, salon.com and digbysblog.blogspot.com. And of course, on the Twitters at Digby56. Thanks, Heather. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Desi. All right, a quick break, and we're back with the uh, Green News Report. Uh, you know what? I just want to jump in really quick. You yeah. know how uh, Heather had said that the Trump administration, the Department of Justice, and the Department of Homeland Security have been very successful in carrying out their malevolent policies and we're lucky that the Trump administration is as incompetent as they are. But one thing that they have been very, very good at and successful at, I think, is, un, un, is rolling back environmental protections. I would say they have been successful in trying to, much well, okay. as they have been successful in trying to do that same thing at the DOJ. They've been stopped by the courts. There's been a lot of challenges. So they have only been so successful. They have certainly tried at both the EPA and the DOJ. And I think at the DOJ, they're able to get away with a little bit more because there's more secrecy there uh, with the, you know, customs right. uh, and border uh, patrol. You, and you so make forth. a good point that it, it ain't over yet. The resistance is holding <laughs> for now. Quick break. And we're back with Green News Report and more on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. I wish we could stop the world. <laughs> um, stop the world, I want to get off. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As we went to the break, uh, some of the news uh, many of us fear, uh, breaking news that apparently North Korea has now fired a missile. Uh, very few details now just now coming in. CNN says North Korea uh, has launched a missile that landed in the Sea of Japan, also known as the East Sea, according to U.S. official. It was probably a medium-range ballistic missile. Uh, fired from the uh, Pukchong 
airfield and flew for about 30 to 40 kilometers before landing in the waters off the Korean peninsula, according to the official. So far, that is all we know. I guess now we will find out how and if Donald Trump responds or if he is uh, the paper tiger that we were uh, discussing there with Heather Digby Parton. But in the meantime, I guess let's get to it. Uh, cheer us up, Desi Doyen, with our latest Green News Report. Today we are putting the states back in charge. It's a big thing. Trump moves to review and maybe revoke national monuments. Sky-high flames forcing thousands from their homes. Florida calls out National Guard to fight drought-fueled wildfires. Even oil companies predict a surge in electric cars. People's Climate March to demand climate action. Plus, sea level rise estimates doubled thanks to the melting Arctic. Thanks, melting Arctic. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Today I'm signing a new executive order to end another egregious abuse of federal power. You're signing an executive order to fire yourself? Cool. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, Republicans in the state of Florida have been denying climate change and global warming for years. And well, once again, it looks like they're paying the price for that. Yes, unfortunately, it does look like that. My driveway leading to my house looks like another planet. This used to be a home. Florida's wildfires are still raging out of control. These fires are dangerous. They're extremely dangerous. We have to be very cautious. Florida Governor Rick Scott has called out the state's National Guard to help fight the more than 100 out-of-control wildfires that have destroyed dozens of homes and forced the evacuation of thousands in tinderbox conditions caused by high winds and drought. And it's not just in Florida. Wildfire season in the United States is already 400 percent above normal for this time of year. So for Florida, the water is rising up and the trees are burning down. That's right. President Trump accelerated his assault on the environment and public lands on Wednesday, ordering a review of all national parks and monuments created by previous presidents since 1996. Today I'm signing a new executive order to end another egregious abuse of federal power and to give that power back to the states and to the people where it belongs. Although couched as a local control issue, critics charge the administration's real goal is to strip valuable public lands of protected national monument status, to open them up to industry for drilling, mining, logging, and potentially to be sold off. No president in U.S. history has ever revoked a previous president's national monument protections created under the Antiquities Act. Nothing in the law allows for it, but the Trump administration is going to try. The move was slammed by the outdoor industry Association, which said their industry generates nearly $900 billion in local economic activity and tourism and creates more than 7 million jobs in the U.S., far more than the fossil fuel industry. I love this comment from his signing ceremony. The previous administration used a 100-year-old law known as the Antiquities Act. Have you heard about that? 
Yes, yes, we've heard about it. It's a hundred-year-old law. It doesn't make it any less valid. Trump will also sign another executive order to reopen pristine protected waters in the Arctic and the Atlantic Oceans to offshore drilling, which had been protected by President Obama under directives that banned drilling until 2022 in some areas and permanently in others. Environmental groups and Native American tribes say they will sue to challenge the stripping of protections from public lands, monuments, and those pristine ocean areas. Meanwhile, a new study projects that global sea level rise may unfold twice as fast as previously predicted due to global warming. Great. The new faster estimate comes from the Arctic Monitoring Assessment Program and is based on new data showing the rate of ice melt is accelerating in the Arctic and in Greenland, projecting a minimum of two feet and a worst-case scenario of eight feet of sea level rise by 2100. Mm. That's double the rate predicted just a few years ago by the United Nations. This is all going really well. Perhaps I should say going swimmingly. The study authors also say the Arctic is now locked in to dramatic changes through 2050. But they also say what happens after that depends largely on the choices we make today. Sea level rise will also force millions around the world to relocate, including here in the United States. Another study out this week warns that the central United States will see an influx of climate refugees as people retreat from rising seas on the coast. But some good news. Even oil companies are now predicting a surge in electric cars. This week, Total SA, one of the world's largest oil companies, projected that electric vehicles will make up a third of all new vehicles by 2030, thanks to the declining cost of batteries that make them increasingly competitive with conventional gasoline cars. Finally, the People's Climate March is on Saturday, April 29th, around the U.S. and around the world to demand action on climate change and to advance the goals of the People's climate march. Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon and Independent Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont on Thursday introduced new legislation in the Senate to put the U.S. on a path to 100 percent clean renewable energy by 2050. So much marching, so little time before it's too late. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Well, lift your head. It ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. So move. Keep walking. Soldier, keep moving on. Move. Keep walking. Until yes, the please do. Uh, a little bit more information here, Desiree, um, from New York Times now about that North Korean uh, uh, missile that is, uh, New York Times is describing it as having sputtered as it took off. And uh, the official who they cite here says that uh, they did not identify what type of missile it was, but said that the test has ended in failure, as they described it. The second failure in in a week or two, I think, uh, for such a missile. So we don't know much. We will find out uh, if, in fact, we are headed towards, as Trump described, a major, major confrontation with North Korea and our allies in uh, in South Korea, Japan, uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans in the area. I guess we will see how uh, how Donald Trump responds at this point. Yep. In the meantime, we will all keep going. We will all hang in there. As I say, the resistance will keep marching ahead. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Heather Digby-Parton of Salon, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. 
You can uh, download our shows anytime for free at bradblog.com. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue what we do here on the Bradcast. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Until we meet again, which now I hope is soon, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. It ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. So get up and move.